Welcome to JAT Chat, presented by the Journal of Athletic Training, the official journal of the National Athletic Trainers Association. I'm Dr. Shelby Baez, an assistant professor in the Department of Kinesiology at Michigan State University and the co-host of JAT Chat with Dr. Kara Radzak. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by Dr. Stefan Botkin. Dr. Botkin is a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus and within the Eastern Colorado VA. He is the author of Predicting Anterior Cruciate Ligament Reinjury from Return to Activity Assessments at Six Months Post-Surgery, a prospective cohort study. Stefan, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. All right, so let's jump right in. So the purpose of your paper was to examine return to activity assessments at six months after ACL reconstruction and to see if they can best, which could best predict return to activity and secondary ACL injury risk. Can you just discuss for our listeners what we are seeing as it relates to current return to activity as well as secondary injury rates after ACL reconstruction? Yeah, absolutely. Um, in very short, we saw a very high rate of re-injury. Um, we were able to collect um, two-year follow-up data on 192 individuals following ACL reconstruction. And of those individuals, we saw a 24% re-injury rate, which is, um, which is pretty alarming. And um, in the individuals that returned back to activity, um, which was 80% of those individuals or 155 um, patients we followed up with, we saw that re-injury rate increase to 28%. So this does kind of support the current literature out there saying that one in four individuals are having a subsequent ACL injury on that ACL reconstructed graph or that contralateral ACL. So from a... Uh, current literature standpoint, we're seeing that they're not going back to sport, they're not returning to activity at quite the levels that we want them to see, and then that 28% re-injury rest that's, that you all found in your study, but also very similar across other uh, literature in this area. Yes, absolutely. And a lot of the tests that we were administering, um, these patients were coming in, they were seeing us at kind of that time point of starting the return to sport progression. And we would administer, administer a battery of functional assessments. And we're sharing that data with the patient, with their athletic trainer, with their surgeon. And so they're managing the patient progression and that return to activity timeline from these um, kind of reports and tests. And yeah, we're seeing that um, these tests are able to predict these patients that are I'm going back to activity, which of course is biased because we're using these results to do that. But um, right. yeah, we're also seeing a high um, rate of re-injury within these patients. Gotcha. So you mentioned that you all are using a battery of different tests. Can you just discuss what are what are some frequently used clinical tests included in return activity assessments, and and then what all did you use particularly or particularly for this study? Yeah, um, absolutely. I think it's first important to note that these aren't kind of like a red light, green light for unrestricted activity. These patients aren't leaving our lab and just being released. Um, rather that this is kind of a functional assessment to start um, that return to sport progression. So the testing that we used um, were measures of subjective function, um, which kind of quantifies how the patient feels about their knee. And we did that through the IKDC and the CUS, which are both um, subjective questionnaires. We also administered um, isokinetic testing of knee extensor and flexor strength. And then we had a battery of single leg hopping tests. 
And so as you can see here, these probably aren't representative of the sport demands that these patients are getting back to, um, but rather they are kind of like establishing a foundation to quantify these patients' strength, endurance, hopping power that we can then build on top of when returning these individuals back to sport. Um, so those are the tests that we used within our study and that are commonly seen within kind of functional assessments following ACL reconstruction. So it sounds like this combination of patient-oriented measures, disease-oriented measures, as well as performance-based measures to, to help us get this, create this patient profile as it relates to that progression for return to sport seems to be pretty important here. Yeah, absolutely. Because what we're really trying to do is identify deficits that we can then address before getting these individuals back, back out there. Yeah, so uh, thinking about some of the results of your study, one of the things that I found really interesting was that patients who return to activity greater than eight months, for every month in activity that was delayed, we saw a decrease in the probability of secondary injury by 28%. Uh, can you just discuss, firstly, this idea of this risk-reward paradox for early return to activity that uh, you talked about in your study? Yeah, um, I think... Oftentimes, not just the patient, but the athletic trainer, the surgeon, we kind of have this nearsightedness where we want to get these individuals back to sport, back to activity, back to their prior levels of performance as fast as possible. And that is our measure of success. Um, but what we know, not just in the study where we saw it, about one in four individuals had a subsequent ACL injury, is we also know that long-term consequences um, come into effect uh, following an ACL injury, such as post-traumatic osteoarthritis, which is rarely discussed within these patients. And so when we're getting about this timeline or time point, I think it's really important to have these conversations with the patient and discussing kind of the reward of returning back to activity a couple months earlier versus the risk. And the risk being short-term of maybe patient discomfort, another ACL injury, which the patient probably doesn't want to go through this process again. And then also um, kind of chronic um, diseases that could be um, in effect because of their ACL injury. Yeah, so, so you discussed like having this conversation with your patients. And I, I, I'm just curious, do you have recommendations on like best ways to facilitate this conversation? How can we get patient buy-in, parent buy-in, coach buy-in to, to be part of this potentially delayed timeline for the, the long-term reward. Yes, and I think it's really important that you included all those individuals in there because I think this is a conversation that should be held um, with multiple parties, um, with the coaches, the surgeon, of course, the athletic trainer, the parents, the patient, um, to really discuss um, the rewards of going back to activity a little bit earlier. And I think it's really hard as a researcher to make a hard cutoff on the date because every individual is different. Every case is different. And so we don't know for this individual of that kind of reward or if there's something really important to kind of like get back to or maybe accelerate this return to sport progression. However, what we do know is the risk that these patients are having. So getting back to sport increases the risk of re-injuring an ACL. So having a discussion with this patient of, is it worth it? Um, is it worth that risk? Not saying that it's going to happen, but we do see um, a high prevalence of re-injury. So it sounds like just providing patient education and providing those data uh, for the patients to help to uh, help them make their decisions. Um, I, just as a just random thought, thinking about like patient education, um, 
do you do we have any idea about um do patients are they aware do we think we're they're aware of these risks these long-term risks with acl reconstruction like patients coming into the lab the ones that you've engaged in and encounter with do they think about those other long-term consequences like knee away as you, you mentioned previously um, I would want to say that they're really focused on short term, right? I mean, if you take any athlete out of a sport, their initial goal is to get back as soon as possible. And that's what they're really concerned about, where they might know this is a consequences, but really kind of weighing in um, how that would influence their lifestyle years to decades from now. Um, no, I think that they might be a little biased to the short term. Yeah, and it just makes me think is, do we need to start moving some of that education piece earlier on in that re reconstruction rehabilitation process um, to hopefully get them thinking longer term at that eight to nine month time point? That should be the, the place that they're shooting for because of these long term risks. Um, so I, I think it's something in our world we need to continue having those conversations about. Um, so continuing on with some of the results that you found, again, I think this is such a fascinating article. Um, you found that for every 1% increase in quad strength symmetry at six months, this increased the risk of injury by 2.1%. Can you just provide a little bit of insight as to why symmetry, which is something that we think we, we want to see as clinicians, may be associated with this re-injury risk? Yes, and if you read the paper, this goes against our initial hypothesis because that is not how we're using this measure and a lot of other clinicians and labs are using this measure where, yeah, limb symmetry index, that's, that's good. Um, and I want to start off by saying that um, from this finding, the authors, anybody involved in this article, we are not promoting that you should decrease quadriceps strength or you should decrease quadriceps limb symmetry index to reduce the chance of re-injury. Um, there's been a lot of research out there showing that um, greater or strong associations between quadriceps strength symmetry to patient reported outcomes, to gait biomechanics, to confidence in returning to sport. So yes, engaging quadriceps early and aggressively is very good. Um, however, what we found in the study is we saw that these individuals that had a higher limb symmetry index, it increased their likelihood of re-injury. And we kind of talked about this point of care research design where the athletic trainers, the surgeons, the patients, they were all walking out of our lab with this report showing how well they're doing. So it very well might be the case that their rehabilitation, their progression was accelerated dependent on high quadriceps strength symmetry. Um, however, what we did see is we stratified the cohort um, from early to delayed um, return to activity. And we did that on an eight-month timeline. So individuals that returned to activity before eight months were in this early group. And within that early group, we saw that same result come out, where the higher the limb symmetry index of the quadriceps, the greater likelihood of re-injury. However, with these individuals that returned um, to activity after eight months, we no longer saw that come, come out. So it's really, there's a component of time there. So it's not saying that we shouldn't measure the quadriceps strength or limb symmetry, but it's how we're interpreting this result, and especially in making this decision of returning these individuals back to activity. Yeah, I, I, I had a lot of thoughts when like reading that and trying to, to figure it out, because again, my hypothesis would be very similar to what you all hypothesize in this article. And um, do you think there, there's anything to potentially like we have your ACLM and then the contralateral limb 
And one is getting maybe stronger, the other one may be getting weaker. And then we have this like symmetry that's present because we kind of met in the middle. Yeah, is, is that longer time leading to like longer yeah. strength gains over over time or what do you what do you what are your thoughts yeah that's a really good point because symmetry is not a measure of strength right we use that contralateral limb because it's very convenient oftentimes our um, patients or our athletes they have um, a contralateral limb that is we think healthy and um, doesn't have a history of re-injury however we know that contralateral weakness could elevate that limb symmetry index and there's been um, some research coming out um, within the athletic training field sh- showing bilateral kind of weakness after ACL reconstruction so I don't think we can say that from the study but that's a, a great point to consider is is this actually a true measure of strength when we're taking any symmetry measure yeah and, and I just wonder is is because of this time piece is it they just have more time to get more strength back and the stronger you are the less likely you may go go on to have a secondary injury I, I don't know but um I think it's just fascinating with when we think about symmetry um and I also really appreciate your caveat that you provide at the beginning of uh, answering that question that's very um, important yeah quad strength important I'll echo what you just said there too mm-hmm. um so when we're thinking about uh, the, we, we talked a little bit about like the ACLM and the contralateral limb. Uh, one thing that you all found was that um, a greater number of females had secondary injury to the contralateral limb, while when we compared to males who had greater number on the ipsilateral limb. Uh, I know uh, we don't know why this is definitively yet, but can we just I guess have a conversation about like. Why do you, why is there this hypothesized greater risk on the contralateral limb for female patients? Yeah, absolutely. And just short answer, I don't think we do know, but this has also been shown within other kind of research. We see a greater number of females re-injuring their contralateral ACL, and we see a greater um, proportion of males injure their ACL reconstructed graft. Um, And because of the way the study was designed, the first time we saw these patients were after their ACL reconstruction. So we don't know how they were looking, how they were functioning, how they were feeling um, before their ACL injury. So we don't know if this greater proportion of females injuring their contralateral limb was due to biomechanical adaptations that happened as a result of the injury, surgery, or rehab, or if it was just due to pre-existing conditions that elevated their risk for an ACL injury in the first place. Um, so I don't know if we have like a reason, but I think it's important for our clinicians to know is that um, we shouldn't, we're not just returning a knee to sport, right? We're returning a, a whole person, a, a whole um, athlete. So not only do we need to be focused on that ACL reconstructed limb, but even the contralateral limb or the person as a whole. Um, so it's just kind of draw our insights that we shouldn't just get honed in right on that ACL reconstructed knee. Yeah, so I definitely appreciate like this like push patient centered care like biopsychosocial. That's my jam all day. Um, so I, I really appreciate like this push of looking at the patient, not just at their their knee. They're not an AC, they're yes. not an ACL. They are a patient who has an ACL reconstruction. So definitely yes. appreciate that. And I, I do wonder. Um, I don't know if you all examine anything with between non-contact versus contact injury as like initial mechanisms. And I guess your thoughts about could that be associated with the contralateral versus an ipsilateral limb injury? Or I know I'm just opening up a 
Oh, no, no. These are all really good questions <laughs> and um, really good questions. And I think great areas for future research. Um, we um, have some data on that. It, again, this is all kind of patient um, reported to say like how they got injured. But yeah, you would want to think that um, non-contact mechanisms might happen through different um, yeah, biomechanics and kind of uh, an individual is getting uh, through a contact injury, whether another person or kind of a sport object. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if we have the numbers to kind of cut up our sample to analyze that. So, but I think that's a great question and great area for future research. So I, I'm in, in full support. We're, we're coming <laughs> up with some good uh, future research questions right now. Yeah. And uh, going back to thinking about the greater number of females and the contralateral limb, uh, from like a, a clinical perspective, what are some recommendations that you would pro- provide a clinician to engage in this patient-centered care that you you alluded to earlier? Um, yeah, I mean, in regards to like the contralateral limb, I think we absolutely can't kind of forget about that. And that goes back to our measure of um, a limb symmetry. So we, it's very convenient. It's very easy to interpret if you're giving a percentage of symmetry. Um, however, a lot of studies are coming out with kind of more normalized measures of strength. So actually normalizing the force that patient's able to produce with their quadriceps or their hamstrings to a patient's body weight, which is a little more representative of their strength and not just relative to another um, side of the body. So yeah, getting a little more in the weeds in regards to how we are measuring um, patient function or strength when we're returning these individuals back to activity. And if we're collecting data serially, if we're doing this at every couple of months to see how an individual progresses, I think that really takes like the patient-centric care a step farther. Um, How are these individuals responding to certain therapies as we progress back to activity? And serial assessments can certainly um, kind of open up a door in that area. Yeah, so not just one time point, like get multiple time points to really see change over time throughout that rehab Mm -hmm. um, and recovery process. Uh, One thing we we haven't actually touched on just yet, but I just wanted to just provide our listeners some insight to was you you mentioned that you collected IKDC and some of the patient reported outcomes. What did you see as it relates to some of these patient function measures um, and um, secondary injury? Yes. And so when we looked at the re-injury rate, it had very similar results to our quadriceps strength symmetry, um, where I think the CUS sport, the CUS is a subjective questionnaire and it's split up through five subscales. And one of the subscales is a sport category where it asks kind of the patient, um, how the patient feels about kind of returning back to sport or the pain perceived through sport. And what we saw again in these patients that returned back before six months is that a higher measure of Q-sport, so these individuals are feeling better, they feel good, actually increase the likelihood of re-injury, which again would go against our initial hypothesis. But we didn't see that come out in these patients that returned back to activity after eight months. So, I mean, we're really emphasizing that there is a time component here, and we're not saying that these measures don't hold utility, but it's just when we are interpreting them to return individuals back to activity, and we're saying that they shouldn't be administered with that intention um, prior to eight months following their ACR reconstruction. So just to summarize what I heard, those patients who had higher self or who had high patient function or self-reported function less than that eight-month time period went on to more likely to have that secondary injury. 
Correct. Correct. So patients that were feeling better, yeah, (laughs) patients that were feeling better, patients that were actually performing better, um, how we would categorize it, um, if they returned back to sport before six months, it actually showed a higher um, risk, higher risk for re-injury. Can you provide any insight there why maybe a patient who was saying, I feel good, uh, may be more likely to to have that secondary injury down the road? Is it still strictly that that time component or or what are your thoughts? Yeah, we don't know exactly. Like I would want to say one factor would be time. There's research showing out that kind of the healing of that ACL reconstructed graft um, doesn't really fully integrate um, for a year to almost two years following their ACL reconstruction. So we don't know if it's kind of like a healing process within the graft that's being um, integrated. Um, or if it's how these patients were treated, right? These patients weren't blinded to the results that we were collecting. Mm -hmm. We were very much so sharing how these patients were functioning, how these patients were feeling to the entire um, healthcare team, to the patient, to even the coaches. So if a athletic trainer, if the surgeon, if the patient saw that they were scoring better, whether that be on the coos or that quadriceps limb symmetry measure, we might have kind of accelerated how these patients were being treated, um, which is certainly a confounding factor in any point of care uh, research that's being performed. Yeah, it, it, those results get my my uh, the wheels turning in my my brain, and right. I, I was just thinking about like I know Dr. Mark Paterno and his group put out a paper um, suggesting that those patients who are overconfident are actually more likely to who have higher levels of confidence are more likely to go on and have a secondary injury. I wonder if we're seeing some of the, those pieces fall in on some of the self-reported function too. So. Yeah, and it very well could be. And I don't think we know, but what we know is that these patients that delayed return to activity, they just waited a couple more months. Um, we kind of saw these factors no longer come out significant. Um, rather, we saw a protective mechanism for time. Yeah. So um, that was definitely kind of our nail home to this paper, but... Uh, yeah, there's a lot of research to be done in this area. Yeah, no, so that, that time component and continuing continuing to push for that delayed timeline seems to be a big thing here as it relates to these other outcomes as part of the return to, to activity assessment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Stefan, uh, I know we talked about a lot of things today, but if you were to provide a take-home point about your paper for our listeners, what, what would your take-home point be? Yeah, um, I think, and again, this is just reiterating our discussion, is that these return to activity, these functional assessments are good, and they should be administered as many times as you can throughout this return or this um, post-ACL progression. However, if we are administering them with the intention of returning individuals back to activity, we should utilize these tests with caution prior to eight months following their ACL reconstruction. So I, I I really appreciate you you joining us today. Is there is there anything else that you want our readers to know, or anything important uh, that they should know about your paper that you want to share? Um, no, I mean I would just encourage individuals to kind of get in there and read it. Um, we tried to kind of make it a very clinically insightful to kind of help the care of these patients, especially coming from athletic trainers. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And this article is available free of charge by the Journal of Athletic Training. And I highly recommend everyone go and download this current manuscript when it comes out uh, in the upcoming issue. So thank you so much again, and we will see you next time. Thank you so much for having me.